Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. I like the blue mic better. This is really quite significant, isn't it? I'll be honest, when I heard the air conditioning was broken, I had a brief moment of, like, maybe I'll just not go. Um, <laughs> but I realized that's probably a bit selfish, so here we are. Um, that drive from Woking, I tell you, is the most stressful part of my life, getting over here. Like, the traffic, as you can imagine, everybody with kids is like, let's do an activity in the morning before it gets too hot, and so the junctions, it's like... <sighs> um, anyway, I'm here. I'm here. I made it. Um, the Mazda 2 is still intact as well, so that's good. Well, I have the privilege today of um, kicking off, I guess, a new term, but a, a new teaching series um, today. And so my task is just to introduce us to the series and to what we're going to be doing, give you an overview of where we're going. And would you like to see the artwork? Should we do a drum roll on our knees? Let's go. Okay, here we go. There we go. Woking didn't even whoop. I mean, come on. Um, so, uh, Foundations, Building a Community that Stands, a study through the Book of Acts. So, over the next eight weeks, um, here in Guildford, uh, in Woking, in an older shot, all of Emmaus is heading in this one direction together, and we're really excited about this um, new series. Um, I'm going to talk more about Acts a little bit later as the biblical text for this series, but one of the things that happened as we were going through this, we realized this would also be a great opportunity for us to revisit some of our uh, core values and practices as a church. So if you are new or relatively new, this is actually a perfect time for you to be with us, or if you've been around a lot, um, it's always good to have a refresh. They say if you don't uh, let your values shape your culture, your culture will shape your values. So there we go. I'm terrible at all that kind of stuff, but anyway... Um, and so Emmaus Road is, is part of the 24-7 prayer network of communities. Our values and our practices as a church community are found in the shared DNA that exists between us and with 24-7 prayer. And the particular way that we express those values is pray, play, obey. Okay, hopefully you've heard that a thousand times if you've, if you've been around for a while. And within each of those values, um, there's a couple of practices that go hand in hand with that. So let me just go through these really quickly. Um, We pray is another way of just saying that we follow Jesus. We want to be true to him and we want to be his disciples. And so the particular practices that go along with this are prayer and worship. Um, And so that's why we gather like this on Sundays. We believe in the importance of gathered worship. We believe in living lives of prayer and praise before God. It's why we have prayer rooms and prayer Zooms. Um, And it's why we encourage people to engage with things like Lectio in your daily life so that you can be someone who prays in everything. And the other practice here is learning. And this really speaks to the commitment that we have to the word of God, to using our God-given intellect, uh, to growing in our understanding of scripture, of the world, of ourselves, so that we can better serve him. We play is another way of saying that we just want to love one another. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. So it's very important how we treat one another as the church, both in this kind of local context and also um, in the grander scale. And the two practices that go with this value are hospitality 
and creativity. Um, this is, for example, wildfire, which is a really obvious example of these values being outworked. You know, we all take the effort and expense of going off to this big tent in the middle of a field, and we decorate it beautifully, and we have food together, and we just want to um, be creative in the way that we build our relationships with one another. It's why we invest so heavily in our under-18s work. We want our young people to find church to be a place that is engaging, where they feel like they can be themselves, they can be creative in how they outwork their understanding of God, and of course, there's loads of other ways that we outwork these things. And creativity can feel a little abstract, like, you know, some people just, oh, I'm not creative, but you can be creative in so many ways. The way that we put a sermon series together is a way of using our God-given creativity, the way that we, you know, figure out logistical and administrative problems. Creativity speaks to everything that we do, and so it's a real big practice and value for us as a church. And finally, we obey is another way, obviously it has to rhyme, pray, play, obey. Um, but that's, that's another way of saying that we want to love the world that we are part of. And so the practices that go with this value are mission and justice. Mission, of course, bringing the gospel to where it has not yet been brought, including the hearts of those we encounter in our daily lives. And justice, this is our whole area of social transformation, bringing the, the, the justice of the kingdom of God to bear on what we see as earthly injustices, prioritizing those who are otherwise marginalized. That's like the fastest I can do that. Does that, do those resonate with you on, on some level? Hopefully you feel like those are good values and practices to have as a community. And so as we go through this series, as well as stopping off at key points in the book of Acts, we're also going to make sure it's an opportunity for us to really dig into some of those particular practices. So the next eight weeks is going to look like this. Um, today is uh, an introduction and overview. Um, I'm not going to talk about Acts right now, but if you've read it before, have a little fun game with yourself and try and guess which passages of Acts correspond to the particular topic in question. Um, next week, uh, no prizes for this one, this is too obvious, we're going to talk about being empowered by the Spirit. Um, the week after that, we're going to talk about loving one another and therefore the value of hospitality. We're then going to look at um, what it means to be a community who prays boldly, obviously the value and practice of prayer. Then we're going to talk about how the gospel still changes lives in our day and age, just as we read about in Acts, and that, of course, is the area of mission. We're going to talk about standing in the story, perhaps a little bit less obvious from the title, but about a third of the book of Acts is speeches by the apostles, and if you go and read those speeches, you will find that they are absolutely saturated with Old Testament quotations directly and lots more allusions. And so we see that the earliest Christians very much made sense of all that was unfolding before them by realizing the story that they were already a part of. And so in that session, we're going to dig into um, quite deeply what it means to be people who stand in a story that has come before us and will continue on after us. Um, after that, we're going to talk about the church as being a place which should imagine and practice a new kind of society. So the things that divide us in the world no longer become divisive. They become things that actually unite us because we are one in Christ as his body, the church. And then finally, the confrontation of worlds. I was quite pleased with that title. Um, but that really speaks to the fact that as the church, we will face opposition. And of course, in Acts, we read about a lot of persecution that happens to the earliest Christians. And so we're going to talk about the fact that to, to bring kingdom values here on earth often will put us at, at odds with earthly values. And so we're going to look at that whole topic of persecution and what happens when the church and the world clash on things. Um, but the goal of this series is not just to kind of be clever with our values and acts and how we kind of put it all together. The goal here is really, you know, it's much bigger than that. And so the prayer of us as a leadership team is that, you know, by the end of this series, we will see people moving more in the power of the Holy Spirit in their daily lives. 
more courageous about sharing their faith, that we will become clearer as a community about the spiritual realities of the world that we live in, that we will all have more confidence in the authority that we have in Jesus Christ, that we will become more hopeful for the future that lies before us as his church, and that finally we will be filled with faith again for what could happen here in Guildford and in Woking and in Aldershot as we obey and we follow the gospel mission that he has given us. Does that sound exciting? Does that feel like a worthy way of spending eight weeks together? I'll take that as enthusiasm. Come on. It's hot. I get it. I get it. Um, So my goal now um, is to do, we're going to go, we're going to activate full Bible nerd mode and um, we're going to do a crash course through the book of Acts. So there are 28 chapters in Acts and so naturally in eight weeks, we're not going to be able to do a sort of detailed exploration of every single thing about the book of Acts. We're going to stop off, as I said, at some of these key junctures. But today what I want to do is just orient us in our heads and in our hearts into the world of Acts and almost a bit of a refresher if you have read the book before, I'm sure many of you have, but also a bit of a way of just introducing it to you if you're not as familiar with it. Um, So this is really the 30,000 foot overview, the grand sweep of Acts. The first thing is like it's difficult, I think it's really difficult to imagine how impoverished our Bibles would be without the book of Acts. Right? They form this, it forms this crucial bridge between the Gospels and the letters of Paul. Without Acts, there would be this huge chunk missing. Um, James Dunn, who's a brilliant New Testament scholar, he had this to say at the start of a commentary on Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is the most exciting book in the New Testament, probably in the whole Christian Bible. It tells of the beginnings of Christianity with a vigor and vividness which often leaves the new reader breathless. It is a story of people who are filled with divine power, inspired to speak with an effectiveness far beyond native ability, guided and sustained in crucial moments by heavenly visions. Their mission punctuated by miraculous healings and rescues, their initial success staggering, and their progress to the center of the civilized world remorseless. That sounds pretty epic, doesn't it? And so there's a couple of things I want to say right off the bat about Acts. And the first one is this. Acts is a sequel. Who likes movies? Any movie fans? Who knows that a sequel is not always as good as what's come before it? Okay, Acts is good though, trust me. It's more of a Godfather part two than like a sort of, I don't know, Shrek part two or something. Um, and so Luke and Acts have the same author. They're, they're two sides of the same coin. And in fact, the early church would have treated Luke and Acts as one work. And um, scrolls could only be so long before they became very difficult to work with. And so um, they were separated into two separate works. Um, Luke and Acts are both about the same length. They're actually both the longest books in the New Testament. And so this one author gives us about 25% of the New Testament. Um, And there's loads of sort of parallels that we could draw, but one really interesting one, I think, on on just a kind of large level, is, is this sort of triadic structure that happens in Luke and in Acts. So in the Gospel of Luke, you have the birth and infancy of who? In Acts, you have the birth and infancy of what? In uh, Luke, you have the increasing growth and spread of the gospel through Jesus' earthly ministry. And then, of course, in Acts, you have the increasing growth and spread of the gospel through the church. And at the end of Acts, who is on trial? Jesus. And then, Sorry, at the end of Luke. Oh, keep getting them mixed up. At the end of Acts, 
Paul is on trial. And so even on that very simple level, there's this really clear um, symmetry that the author is drawing between these two works. The very first words of Acts are, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And so as we come to Acts, we must also realize that the story has already been going on before us. Now, I am a visual learner, and I had a, um, I had a lecturer at a theological college who would sometimes distill really complicated information into these like diagrams, and it was really helpful, and they stick with you in a way that other things don't. Does anyone want to see my diagram attempt at looking Acts? Yes. Can we have a go at this? All right, here we go. So... These yellow arrows indicate the spread of the gospel. So right, you know, on one side you have the birth of Jesus, and then throughout the gospel of Luke, the gospel spreads through his earthly ministry, but of course he was a physical person, and so the gospel really only spread to the locales that he was physically present in, and you know, a little bit beyond that by word of mouth, but you know, it's it's very much confined to what he was doing and where he was. And then you have this dividing line between Luke and Acts. What happens right at the start of Acts? The church is born at Pentecost, the spirit is given to Jesus's followers. And then what happens is that the gospel continues to spread in increasingly wide geography, right? But now it's through the spirit-empowered church and eventually to the ends of the earth. So if that's a helpful way of you sort of remembering the, the, the sort of ongoing story between Luke and Acts, and it's not finished, right? That those arrows are still going on today. The diagram has not been completed yet. Um, you will do that in heaven, just sort of finish the diagram. Um, So the first thing about Acts is that it's a sequel. The second thing that I want to say about Acts as we begin this series is that it is provocative. It's a very difficult book to sort of explain and to rationalize much of what happens in it. Now, you may find yourself on one of two extremes. On the one hand, we have the kind of card-carrying Pentecostals who, as soon as we said we're going to do the book of Acts, they're like, "Woo! like more, Lord, let's do this. It, like that, it's the book, right? It's the book that, you know, people who are particularly into the, you know, charismatic gifts and all of that, Acts is, the, is where, you know, that's where all the DNA of that stuff comes from. And so Acts is a really popular book in some circles. But on the other hand, you might be slightly more cautious, introspective, and you're kind of going, could this really have happened the way that Luke tells us? Like this, this is, some of this stuff is pretty crazy. And um, you're probably somewhere in the middle. I suspect most of us are somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. But it's important that we have both of those extremes. Even within our collective, we talk about, you know, we have such different personalities, but it's actually so enriching to have different perspectives and different approaches to these things. It's great to have the people that are just willing to kind of take all of this at face value and run with it. But it's great to have people who are also wanting to ask the deeper questions as well before they sort of <laughs> jump in with both feet. And so as we go through this series, I just want to assure you right at the start that, you know, we can be really confident in the historical credibility of Acts. Um, there's much that corroborates both the gospel and Acts. Obviously, Paul's letters, like, like much of Acts tells the story of Paul, and it corroborates very well with his letters, which are separate documents. Luke, of course, um, meshes very nicely with Matthew and Mark in many respects. And so we can have a really high degree of confidence as we come to Acts, startling and surprising as some of the content is, that you know, much of it is exactly as it happened. But of course, it's not security camera footage. It's not an audio recording of everything that happened. For example, Peter's speech at Pentecost, which is a very important moment in the book of Acts and in the church as a whole, to, for me to speak it out loud to you would only take about three or four minutes Okay, it's very unlikely he stood up and spoke for three or four minutes. He probably spoke for 20 or 30 minutes, okay? And so even on that level, the speeches indicate to us that the author is summarizing and giving us um, the stuff that he really thinks we need to know. And historical writing, which Acts is, is never objective. 
Okay? If you go to Waterstones today and you buy two books about the same sort of historical figure or the same historical event, but you buy one from an author, say, from this part of the world and then another one from an author from this part of the world, they may relay lots factually that lines up, but of course they will have their own lens through which they interpret these events. And so it's important for us to remember that Luke, Luke's goal in writing Acts is not to convince us that these things happened. His primary consideration is to communicate to us what these things signify to us as the church. A really beautiful example of this, I think, is um, found at the start of Luke. Luke has the most beautiful infancy narrative and um, you know, Simeon in the temple, the old man, and he says he's a godly old man, says he's filled with the Holy Spirit, interesting, before Pentecost, right? And um, he has been promised by the Spirit of God that he will not die until he has seen the Lord's Messiah. And I think this is one of the most beautiful moments in Scripture. Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus to the temple, and Simeon takes him in his hands, and among other things, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people's a light for revelation to the Gentiles, of course, a really important theme as we get into Acts, and for glory to your people, Israel. And so Luke is not just relaying to us the fact of Jesus's birth. He's trying to interpret its significance for us. Does that make sense? So it's a helpful thing for us to remember as we come to Acts. What do these things signify? What do they communicate to us in this day? All right, ready for the, the whip through the entire book of Acts? Okay. I've written on my notes, move quickly through this section, <laughs> lest they fall asleep. I'm going to drink more than usual here because it's, it's hot, I'll be honest. Um, all right, Acts chapter 1, here we go, here's your crash course. Acts chapter 1 reminds us that it links back to the gospel of Luke. Jesus reiterates the promise of the Holy Spirit, and then we have the ascension of Jesus, and then they actually also replace Judas as one of the apostles with Matthias. Um, and the key thing here is what Jesus says to them, and this is really the thesis statement of the book of Acts, ver, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Receive, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's really kind of, in a way, the, the whole thing of Acts in a nutshell. The next major section of Acts is chapters 2 to 7, and this is really the whole bit that happens in Jerusalem. And we have, obviously, the story of Pentecost, which we're going to look at next week. Um, we have the story of the kind of earliest Christian community, which we're going to look at uh, the week after that. And then by the end of that section, we also have the first uh, martyr, Stephen. So by the end of this first major section, we already begin to see the persecution that is happening. Now, here's the interesting thing I want you to notice. Um, at the very start of, of chapter 8, um, it says, this is when, when Stephen has, has been martyred, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of where? Judea and Samaria. The, um, do you notice how the gospel, therefore, is spreading even when it looks like it shouldn't be? Because where did Jesus say that they were going to go after Jerusalem? Okay, so even in the act of persecution, the gospel is still being fulfilled in the way that Christ said it would. The next major section is chapters 8 to 12, and this is then when we are in Judea and Samaria. And this is really um, a group of stories that starts to relate to us that this sort of mostly Jewish, Jerusalem-centric church is starting to become multi-ethnic, multinational, that's starting to spread. 
In this section, you have the, the Ethiopian eunuch, you have Simon the magician, you of course have Saul's conversion, and you start to get the impression that he's going to become quite a major player in the story as it goes from here. And then you have Peter, uh, Peter's vision, um, where he, he sees this, you know, this great sheet coming down, and you, you go and read Acts chapter 10, it's, it's amazing, but he, he, he's, he's convicted that, like, Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I'm just going to be obedient, and I'm going to kind of We'll work out the, the technicalities of the Jew-Gentile question later. I'm just going to be obedient. He goes to the house of Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion. And by the end of that chapter, the Holy Spirit fills Cornelius and his entire family. It's a very significant moment, right? It's the first time, really, we see Gentiles being filled with the Holy Spirit in a very clear way. Then the next major section of Acts is chapters 13 to 20, and this is really Paul's missionary journeys. And probably the main thing to say about this section is that it's where you really start to see the clashing of cultures increasingly, but you're also starting to see those, those barriers being broken down in certain places by the gospel and more and more people. Remember that kind of geographical spread that's happening, okay? We see that happening a lot in chapters 13 to 20, and the, the Jew-Gentile question is really hashed out properly at the Jerusalem Council in chapter 15. And then the final major section of Acts is chapters 21 to 28. And this is where Paul is really center stage and his witness um, spreads all the way to Rome, the very heart of civilization. Um, so he is arrested, he's put on trial. They can't really find a great reason to you know, punish him, but they kind of keep him in prison anyway. God uses his time in prison very well. Do you know what Paul did when he was in prison? He wrote a lot of the letters that are obviously absolutely crucial for us today. So very good use of time. And then this, uh, this section, but the book ends then with Paul under house arrest in Rome, under the nose of the emperor. Um, and it says, you know, people came, still came to see him. And he still was teaching and preaching boldly, declaring about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And people were still coming to faith. So again, even in a situation that you would think would be counterproductive, like being under house arrest, Paul is still seeing people become Christians. It's very powerful. And so that's, the, that's the, the, the bird's eye overview. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I remember some of this stuff. I read that 15 years ago. Um, you're going to read it again this afternoon, start to finish, all right? There's three things that I want us to notice about the book of Acts generally that I think will be really helpful for us as we go through the next eight weeks. And even as we look at different topics, I think these three things in particular are really important. The first one is this. Um, the Holy Spirit is really the main character in the book of Acts. Um, I was cooling off um, after the, the, the heat of yesterday on my deck last night, and I worked out that I think the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the book of Acts about 57 times. That's what I do on a Saturday evening. Um, it's okay. It's fine. Um, but actually, in the Gospel of Luke as well, the Holy Spirit is, is emphasized much more than it is in the other Gospels. And so for Luke, the author, the Holy Spirit is absolutely paramount to all that is going on. And so, although we're going to do a deep dive next week, I think a really helpful practice, and one that I find helpful as I read Acts, is every time you read a chapter, whether by yourself or in collective or you know, through this series, ask yourself the question before you start reading the chapter, what is the Holy Spirit doing in this chapter? And who is it doing it with? What's it asking of them? And you'll start to notice things that you maybe wouldn't have otherwise noticed. Really pay attention to this grand theme of the Spirit in Acts. And then as you do that and you start to reflect on it and pray about it, ask the question, Spirit, what are you doing now? What are you doing in my life? What can I glean from the book of Acts that we can um, apply 
now. So the first thing I want us to kind of keep at the very front of our minds and hearts in this series is what is the Spirit doing? The second thing I want you to notice throughout Acts is the fact that nothing can stop the spread of the gospel. The gospel is God's action in this world and nothing we can do can stop it. Of course, we can quash it in our own lives and refuse to share it and, you know, kind of let, let the seed die in that sense. But as a, as a race, there is nothing we can do to stop the spread of the gospel, evidenced, of course, by those two uh, stories that I alluded to of, you know, the first Christians were thrown out of Jerusalem, but they were actually just thrown into Judea and Samaria where Jesus wanted the gospel to go. Next, Paul, under house arrest, was still teaching and preaching and seeing people come to faith. This, this made me think of um, China in the 1940s. China went, underwent a massive cultural revolution in the 1940s, and there had been missionaries going there for hundreds of years at that point. And they reckon in the 1940s there was probably about 800,000 Christians in China. But then what happened is the church was pushed underground, missionaries were, um, you know, ejected from the country, and to all intents and purposes, it seemed like the gospel mission was going to die in China, or at least just really struggle to survive. But what happened, and some of you will know this, is that in the coming decades, as, as information and stories started to get out farther and farther, people were blown away when they realized that there were now somewhere between 80 and 100 million Christians in China in the most kind of adverse of circumstances. So even in that, the gospel will spread. And so there's nothing we can do to stop it. Therefore, the question that we should be asking is, how can we help God? How can I partner with you in this work? He's gracious enough that he wants to include us as his co-workers and his co-laborers for the gospel. And so as we do this series, I want us to, to be reminded again that the gospel will spread. And therefore, we should be asking the question like, God, how can I help how can I help you in this work? The final thing I want us to notice about the book of Acts and, and keep for the whole series is this. Luke goes to great lengths through his gospel and through the book of Acts to show very clearly that the gospel is for everyone. Um, as well as a major emphasis on the spirit in the gospel of Luke, it's also the gospel that puts by far the most emphasis on the marginalized and the sick in society. It's also the gospel that gives the most priority and prominence to women, um, who again were not as, as important as men in that society. So Luke cares greatly about displaying to us that the gospel is for absolutely everyone. And so visualize, if you will, as well as this geographical spread that is happening, the author is also very clearly trying to tell us that there is a social ladder vertically that the gospel is also spreading to the extremities of. We think of the woman with the issue of blood in Luke's gospel. And notice that Jesus stops to engage with her and heal her when he's on the way to heal the uh, centurion's daughter, who actually is, you know, she, she would have been seen as, as the cleanest and therefore kind of the, the top of society. Jesus stops on his way to heal her and engages with a woman who is at the very bottom of the societal ladder. It's a very important message that would be easy for us to miss. Or we think about the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts. Again, a total outsider, the last and the lost, right? 
the gospel is for these people. But interestingly, Luke, the author, also goes to great lengths to show how those at the top of society need the gospel just as much in a different way, right? They, they maybe have status and they have wealth that the others don't. But Jesus knows that those people need the gospel just as much as anyone else. And so we think of the rich young ruler in the gospel of Luke, or we think of Cornelius in Acts 10, the Roman centurion. He would have been a man who, over you know, a centurion, he had a hundred soldiers under his command. So he probably had a lovely house and was someone of, of upstanding in the community. And Luke goes to great lengths to show us that the gospel is for absolutely everyone, no matter your background, no matter your ethnicity, no matter what you have or haven't done, the gospel is for you. And therefore, the gospel is for everybody that you know. It's for every person in your family who is not yet a follower of Jesus, who you just so eagerly desire to, to, to accept the gospel. It's for every colleague who you see struggling with the difficulties of life. It's for your children, right? The gospel is for absolutely everyone. And so again, as we go through this series, I want us to have a fresh um, faith and a fresh vigor to bring the gospel to people that we know that we have probably given up hope for, who maybe we used to pray for every day and we kind of let it slide because honestly, we just don't really believe at this point that they will come to know Jesus. Acts tells us otherwise, the gospel is for everyone. Um, I wonder if the band could come and join me. As I was thinking about kind of how to land this, obviously this has been quite a, an informative talk where I'm just trying to get our heads into all of the content. Um, I wanted to just draw our attention to uh, something. The, the, the subtitle of this series um, is Building a Community That Stands. But there's a little hidden thing in there that, that we did on purpose. And, and the word stand, the verb stand or standing, as well as the concept of being raised up, is very, very prominent in Acts. It's the kind of thing you would miss it if you kind of didn't know it was there. But the verb standing occurs about 30 times, and the idea of being raised up occurs about the same number of times. That's a lot of times to see that same theme. And of course, sometimes it happens in the way that you would expect to see someone standing up. But other times it does feel like the author is trying to make a point. It feels like an unnecessary detail that they said that that person stood up or was standing at that moment. And so I think he's trying to communicate something to us through this. Um, standing, of course, indicates uh, readiness. It indicates engagement. Um, if you're sitting down, you're not going to be able to fend off an attack as well as if you are standing up. Standing also um, displays confidence and assuredness, right? Authority. And just to draw our attention to a couple of the many, many ways that we read about someone standing in Acts, let me just run you through a few. In Acts chapter 2, we, um, Peter stands to preach the gospel, and that's a theme throughout Acts. The apostles, after their, um, they, they come out of prison in Acts chapter 5, it says that they were standing and teaching and declaring the good works of God in the temple. There are lots of healings in Acts, but interestingly, the only ones that are specifically mentioned have to do with people being raised up to stand from being lame or from being dead. Chapter 3, we have the lame man. Chapter uh, 9, we have Tabitha, stories of people being raised up. And even after Tabitha is raised up, it then says, you know, she says that she sat up, but then it makes a point to say that then Peter pulled her up. You know, she stood up. And finally, and perhaps most beautifully, um, when Stephen is martyred at the moment of his death, when he is being stoned, he has a vision of Jesus. 
And what he sees is Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, that's interesting because what, what is Jesus usually depicted as in that imagery? Seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the only instance where that particular language is used. There's something significant that Jesus is standing to receive Stephen. And so I wonder, just as a way of showing our engagement with what the Spirit of God might be doing, um, not just in the next eight weeks, but of course as we go into this series, we could stand together now as a sign of our willingness to partner with what God is doing, as a sign of our willingness to engage with these questions around, you know, Spirit of God, what are you doing? Not just in Acts, but in my life. Who do I need to have fresh vision for again? Who, who, do I, who have I let fall by the wayside in my prayer life that I so eagerly desire would come to know you? So let's uh, stand together if you're able. And I wonder if we could actually just begin to pray out loud together. Let me just remind you again that the first question that some of you might want to lean into in this moment is this challenge around the Spirit. Like, where have you stopped engaging with the Spirit of God, a major focus of Acts and of this series that we're going to launch into? Spirit of God, would you show us afresh how we can partner with you in our lives? Or maybe you have you've kind of defaulted to the back foot when it comes to this whole idea of being a co-worker and a co-laborer in the gospel work and the reminder today that nothing can stop it and so the best thing we can do is work out God how can you use me again in the spread of the gospel or perhaps the third one is the one that has resonated with you the fact that the good news is for absolutely everyone everyone you know everyone in your family everyone that you are friends with the gospel is for them and I guarantee we all know people who we have never prayed for or who we maybe don't even conceive of coming to church. And I think this series is an invitation for us to dream again by the Spirit of God that we would see them come to know Jesus. And so whichever one of those three it is now, I wonder before we respond and worship, if we could just all pray out loud together, whichever one of those it is for you.